Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. Have you ever been in the middle of a rough patch and prayed for Jesus to help? Do you believe at that moment that He fully understood your pain and had the power to do something about it? Isn't it amazing how honest we can be when facing something bigger than ourselves? Today, Pastor Jim says Jesus knows exactly how you feel. He knows how much you struggle and how strong you are. He knows and He can be your strength, your calm, and your provider if you accept Him into your heart. Well, let's join Pastor Jim in the book of Revelation chapter 2 as he begins his message, Persevering Through Pressure. Do any of you have any pressure in your life? Any of you? Just a few of you. I'll give you some of mine. Do any of you have any problems in your life? It's not as many. A little more on this side. This is the problematic side. You guys, you people seem to be doing better over here. But if you don't have enough problems, please see me after the service. I'd be happy to give you some of mine as well. Yet in the midst of all the pressure and problems of life, Jesus calls his followers to be faithful to keep trusting him and to keep following him. Last week, we looked at the church in Ephesus, and I'll call that the happening church. It was really happening. There was a lot of activity. And today we see churches with a lot of activity. They're also a church that people knew the word of God very well. That's probably less we see of today. It's usually kind of either they know the word or they know activity, but not, not a lot of crossover, if you will. But after the compliments that Jesus gave to them, Jesus did a diagnostic on them. And we said we want to not just study these seven churches in the book of Revelation today, our second week, but we want to also do a diagnostic on both ourselves and our own church. And this was the problem after he said the good things he said about them. He said, this is the problem I have with you to the church in Ephesus. He said, you have left your first love. Well, Now we drive up the road 35 miles to the church at Smyrna. Of the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, only Smyrna and Philadelphia, they're the only churches where Jesus is 100% giving them high praise. Today, Smyrna, it still exists. It's known as Izmir in Turkey. It's the third largest city in Turkey. It's a very wealthy seaport city with over 3 million people, about 4 million people live in the vicinity. And back in the first century church, first century, the church in Smyrna was suffering and being persecuted for their faith, and Jesus praises them for remaining faithful. For those of you who've been around the church a long time, remember years ago, there used to be this thing, whenever something was going wrong in your life, people would say, maybe there's some secret sin in your life. And people would be like, I, I, know, I would always be like, well, I'm sure there's plenty of secret sin, but there's plenty of non-secret sin too. And so, but Jesus praises them not for things going well, but for being faithful when things are not going well. Now, if we let it, I just want to pause on those words for a second. If we let it, and that's what's key, suffering has a way of putting life in perspective. It has a way of deepening our faith, and our trust in the Lord Jesus, again, if we let it. On the other hand, and this is very sad, suffering turns many people away from the faith, but I think it's important that we try to understand God's heart as it relates to our suffering. 
It's important that we always see God's heart for us in light of God's love for us. And when it comes to suffering, which they're going through a lot of, and we will too, Jesus is sharing in our suffering. Jesus shared in our suffering on the cross. In fact, the Bible even says that we too share in the fellowship of his suffering. Now, sadly, and this is, this is not a good place to be, many people interpret God's heart towards them through the lens of their suffering. So they'll think things like this. Well, if I'm going through this, God must not be happy with me. Or if I'm going through this, God must not really love me. Instead of trying to look at what is the final outcome, where is God taking me in the midst of all of this? And so I've entitled today's message, Persevering Through Pressure. Persevering Through Pressure, part of our series, Christ's Timeless Messages for His Church. Now, Although our suffering, we would say, was very different than the church in Smyrna, and many people would say stuff like this. You probably, did you ever tell somebody you were suffering? And then they're like, well, if you think that's bad, right? So we play, you, play, you get into this, can you top this kind of thing of, of suffering? But you know, instead of saying that to, to people, instead of saying that, well, our suffering is less, let's just acknowledge our suffering may be less than someone else's, but it is real to us, isn't it? And so we want to be very much aware of it. Again, we don't want to discount other people's suffering. And I think it's fair to say, I think as we look around our world here, certainly in our country, persecution is definitely on the rise for followers of Jesus. And so we, like the church in Smyrna, really need to hear from, really need a word from the Lord Jesus Christ regarding this. And again, I think for the church today, right now, and it's happening very, very quickly, this is very, very important because we are being now painted by many people, especially in the news. It's amazing how such a small percentage of people can say things about a whole group of people and have such an influence. But many things are being said about us. We're being painted in an extremely negative light in some circles. Uh, you tell somebody you're a Christian automatically, oh, you're a hater. You know, you hate these people, you hate those people, you don't like these people, you don't believe in fun, you don't do any of this stuff. And so that people have a lot of different things to say. And so we, again, like them, need a word from the Lord. And that's exactly what he's doing in chapters two and three is he's giving, Jesus is giving a word for the church. Some things, some churches, he has got some good things to say, some not so good but no matter what, we need to hear what the Lord has to say. And then again, do a self-diagnosis and a church diagnosis. Now, we said last week, and we're gonna, I'm going to try to stick to it the whole time, that I'm going to use the same outline for every message. I had a much longer one. It was like a 15-point outline. And some of you would be like, you got to be kidding me. So we've, we've narrowed it down to five. I got as low as four, but then I decided on five. So anyway, the outline will be the same. Point number one is the Christ, the Christ. Jesus tells us something about himself that really you've got to remember as we go through the entire thing. Verse eight, the risen Christ speaking, telling John, the apostle John's on the island of Patmos, write this to the church. He says this, and to the angel of the church at Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last, we said last week those are terms from the book of Isaiah, who was dead and came to life. There's your cross and your resurrection. So here we get two Christ titles. He says, 
First, he says, I'm the first and the last. What that is, is that is a common name for God in the Old Testament. So Jesus claims that he is the first and the last. So what is he doing? He's claiming equality with God. A lot of people will say, well, Jesus never said he was God in the Bible. Well, maybe not in the way you wanted him to say it, but he does in fact say it. And so he claims equality with God. Now, you teachers, any teachers here? Uh, that's called, a few of them, few of them, few don't want to admit it, I guess, but it's called a, a marismus, and I'm probably saying it wrong. And what that is, is it's something from the beginning to the end and everything in between. You say, I don't know what that means. Give me an example. Did you ever make this expression, I worked night and day? What does that mean? That means you started early and you finished late and you worked in between. So it's one of those things. So Jesus says, I'm the first and the last. What is he saying? I am the one who existed before time. Time as, let's just put it in our language, as we understand it. Jesus is eternal. I existed before the beginning of time and I will list and I will exist all the way until the very end of time and on into eternity. Jesus saying what? I am the sovereign Lord. I rule over the past. I rule over the future. I rule over everything in between. And this is what Bible scholars call a high Christology, which means that Basically, Jesus is saying, I am God. It also means that Jesus sees, because if he is from the, all the way from the beginning to the end of time as we know it, he's been around all the way from the beginning of your life to the end of your life. I don't care how old you are. Jesus has been around, and he basically says, okay, I see how difficult things are for you. And he says to all of us, if you will, I am the anchor in your storm. I want to be there for you. I want to be with you. We'll see that as we go along further. And I know you're in trouble, but please do not think that you are alone in this trouble, church in Smyrna. Then he says, he is the one who was dead and came to life. Well, you see, what does he know? Jesus knows for sure what pressure is. We see him in the garden of Gethsemane and he's sweating drops of blood. The pressure is just so intense. And then he undergoes this serious persecution. People lying about him. He dies on the cross, all the trials, all the lies. And do you see what Jesus just did? Jesus just took us from his divinity or his deity. I've, I am the first and the last. Then he moves into his humanity. I died on a cross. And for a follower of Jesus, and by the way, if you're here with us today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're watching us online, you're listening on the radio, you're not a follower of Jesus, we are so glad that you are, are with us. The man they knew as back then, Jesus of Nazareth, rose from the dead. And that is for us, as followers of Jesus, the evidence and the guarantee that our resurrection will take place on the last day. And if, you're, if this interests you, we studied a few weeks back. Uh, we did nine messages in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, just talking about what the resurrection would be like. So as we are gonna see, the people in Smyrna are fearing for their lives. And Jesus tells them simply this, I know what's going on. And I was dead when I was here as a man and I rose from the dead. So Jesus tells them what? I can beat anything. I can even beat 
death. Jesus says to you and me, you may be walking right now, and many of you are. You may be walking right now down the road of suffering, but Jesus also says, I am the one who lives forever. And if you put your trust in me, you will too. In Jesus, we get this. We get the great sufferer talks to the suffering. Have you ever really thought of that? When you, when you sit and pray and you talk about, to Jesus about your suffering, do you ever think about how much he suffered? Don't compare your suffering to his, but just to understand that when you talk to him about suffering, it's not like, yeah, gee, I don't know what you're talking about. He knows exactly what it is that you're talking about. This past Wednesday night, we talked about the fact that a lot of us, and I said I, can, I feel this way fairly often, we just feel like ordinary people. And yet how important it is that we remember that we are special to God, right? And so, you know, when you're young, you want to be rich and famous. When you're old, you just want to wake up and not have everything hurt. <laughs> we also spoke about being fearful. And do any of you ever get fearful? Any of you? Just a few of you raise your hand. The rest of you are too fearful to raise your hand that you get fearful. <laughs> and so we get fearful. Yet knowing Jesus is bigger than death reminds us that he is mighty to save. What a great name for a song, huh? I think somebody already took it. So we come to point number two, the commendation number two. I want to read verse 9 twice because I want to go through it very slowly. It says, I know your works, your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Now, this is a whole sermon within itself. I'll try not to make it that long. First, he begins verse 9. He says, I know. The way that word is actually translated is it is, I know by experience. So Jesus is saying, okay, in everything that you are going through, I know what you are going through by experience. So when you come to talk to me about what you're going through, I'm not in the dark on this. I know exactly what it is you're talking about. And I think to them, he's giving them a statement of comfort. And to you, if you're in a difficult spot right now, he's saying to you, Okay, whatever situation that you are in, he's saying to you, I know. I know some level of that experience. I know some level of that betrayal, of that pain, of that suffering, of that disappointment. I know it. I've experienced it. Now he says, I know your works. A lot of your versions don't have that in there. Uh, most versions don't. It's what we call a textual variant. It has no bearing on the passage at all. There are, there are those throughout the Bible. Remember, they're copying things. They, did, they, weren't, they didn't put, Jesus did, you know, John didn't put it in a PDF and email it ahead to our century. And so there are textual variants. There's, there's no bearing on the passage. So he says, I know your tribulation. Some versions say affliction. Jesus says, I know what your pain and suffering is like. And here, specifically, for suffering for being a Christian, Sometimes some of you undergo great suffering for being a Christian, maybe on your job, in your home. Maybe you've just put up with certain people because you're a Christian and you want to dump them, but you don't. 
but because you, God's like, hang in there as long as you can, and let's see what might happen. And he says, and you're poverty, but you are rich. Now, this is kind of interesting. This was a very wealthy city, but it seems like a lot of the people from the church in Smyrna couldn't find work. Most of them, if you were in a trade, you had to join a trade union, and you had to go down to the union hall to get a job. And part of the interview process was, would you please take some incense and throw it onto our God, the God of our trade, and worship him? And the people would say, I'm not doing that. I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, what do you think happened to their resume? Bottom of the pile. Bottom of the pile. Other people, they would be tradesmen themselves, and maybe they were farmers or make something else. And since there were so many false gods in the city of Smyrna, people would come to them and say, well, which God did you sacrifice to before you, you want to sell this to me? And they say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't do this. And the people are like, well, I'm not buying that. I want to buy food that's you know, got God, a, real, you know, a, a false God's blessing. And so they were, they were in poverty, but they were rich. We'll talk more about that later. Again, people wouldn't hire them, they wouldn't buy from them. They would not be blessed by, because they didn't bless things by the gods. And I know your blasphemy or your slander. What is he saying? I know that people lie about you. Do you ever have anybody lie about you because you're a Christian? Oh, well, you're a Christian. They believe this. Yeah, I know it's true. I saw it on TV. You know, I know it's true. I read it in Wikipedia. You know, it's on the internet. Everything on the internet's true. Is that true? <laughs> so I know this about you. I know people slander you. Perhaps they were bringing charges to the government against the people in Smyrna. That was happening back then. The Roman government originally recognized Christianity as part of Judaism. They let the Jews be an accepted religion, even though they were kind of a fringe ones. But once they stopped, they used to have to go once a year down to the temple and sprinkle some more stuff and say, Caesar is Lord, and the Christians wouldn't do it. And then the Jews were like, we don't want any part of them. And so perhaps they were turning them into the government. And people, we see that today. People say, I, I want you to make me a birthday cake. The person says, yeah, I'll make you a birthday cake. And they say, I want you to decorate it a certain way. And they say, well, I won't I'll make you the cake, but I won't decorate it a certain way. So what do they do? They turn them into the government. Somebody wants somebody to make a website. And they say, you know, well, I'll give you the template, but I'm not going to put the stuff on the website that you want me to put on your website. And what do they do? They turn them into the government. Similar stuff. Then he says, of those who say they are Jews, but they are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Like, what in the world is that? Jesus says they're Jew they say they're Jews, but they're not, but then they're in the synagogue of Satan. Did you know that there are synagogues of Satan? Did you know that there's some around here? Do you know where they are? I'm not telling you. <laughs> I'm not telling you. And so what are they doing? What is he saying? These people are helping Satan destroy the church. Now, what happens in the summertime even here, like today, there's more seats in this service than there were last week. And what happens is, why? Because people don't like the weather. They're watching at home. They're like, I'm not going out in a tornado. Now, if you're home watching at home, I don't know whether you're just, you know, come on, get with it, or you're really smart. Uh, but we go on vacation. Satan never goes on vacation. Never goes on vacation. So he's always at it. So Jesus is open and honest with us. He says, we can expect some pain and suffering for being a follower of Jesus, but he says this, but you can persevere. 
Here he says to the church at Smyrna, I know, I know from experience, I see the tribulation that you're going through. I see the affliction that you're going through. I see the cost in your life of what it is for following me. And I love one of the words Jesus uses here. He says, I know, which I love, and you might want to circle this. He says, I know your. I know your tribulation. I know your affliction. I'm not just painting some general picture. I know specifically what your church is going through. I know what each and every individual follower of Jesus is going through. It is so personal. I know, I feel pain for you when you go through these things. And let's be very honest. Let's not shave it at all. Suffering can make you feel really lonely, can it? Really lonely. Some of you are single and you're like, well, if I, if I wasn't single, I wouldn't be so lonely. But you can be in a house full of people. You can be in a crowd of people. And you can be very, very lonely. Yet Jesus says, no matter how lonely you feel, please remember this one, loved ones. I am with you in this. I feel your pain. I know your suffering. You are not alone. I suffer with you. It's like Jesus says, I know the pressures in your life. I know the burdens that you are carrying right now, and they are so heavy, you are wondering how you can take another step. And Jesus says, put that on my back, or at least let me help you carry that together. I know the things that are going on right now that are absolutely crushing your heart into oblivion. I know exactly what that's like. And I want to be there with you in that. Notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, I died on the cross. I rose from the dead. Why don't you just get it together? Jesus doesn't say that at all. Rather, in this church, you get a sense of love and gratitude and, dare I say, admiration for those people that continue to be faithful in the midst of such difficulty. One of the things that we see in the Bible is how often hardship is tied to being faithful to God. And I know some of you are going to make me want to walk the plank after this one. Some of you probably always do anyway. anyway. But the Bible is almost casual about it. Like suffering, God is with you. Suffering, God is with you. From pain and suffering, which, which wears people down, causes many to leave the faith or strengthens others or something in between, depending upon where we are with God. Next, Jesus rolls into poverty. Remember, we said that they were poverty. They were in a rich land, and, but they were poverty-stricken because they couldn't earn a living because their beliefs were taking them out of the marketplace. I've only got two questions in this. One, where are the health and wealth guys? Where are they? You know where they are? They're 1,900 years in the future. That's where they are. They don't exist. 
They don't exist. Where are the prosperity preachers when you need them? Teaching them how to be prosperous. You don't see them there at all. You see Jesus saying, I am impressed with the way you are living your life in the midst of your poverty and all that's going on. Very interesting. When we get to the church at Laodicea, which is probably the most similar to the American church, if you will, Jesus says to them, you know what? You guys are really rich, but in my eyes, you're really poor. Now, isn't that the exact opposite of what he told these guys? In the eyes of the world, you're poor, but in the eyes of heaven, you're rich. The world sees followers of Jesus weak and poor, yet Jesus says, but you are rich. You're not weak, you're strong. You're not poor, you're spiritually wealthy in Jesus' eyes. And so many times over the years, I've told you one of the best things I read before I started preaching up here was I was reading a book on pastoring. It was an old-time pastor, and he said, the hardest thing in my ministry was this. I will never forget reading this one sentence. He said, trying to convince the people of God how rich they really are. Thank you for spending the last half hour with Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love is designed to help you deepen your relationship with Christ no matter where you are in your journey. Teaming with Changed by Love financially makes it possible to reach thousands, many more than you and I could reach on our own. We are stronger together than we could ever be apart. Please consider a generous gift today. Give safely and securely online at changedbyloveradio.org. You'll find our address there too if you'd rather send a check. You can always reach us by phone at 862-217-9686. It takes a team to encourage thousands. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney. changedbyloveradio.org.